Hey y'all, it's your girl Vera, and I am back with another episode of The Vera Payam Show. And this one is about anger. Uh, I've been doing a lot of, a lot of uh, thinking and reflecting lately about my own personal relationship with anger. Um, and, you know, personally, like, I've always kind of embraced anger. Like, I've never been afraid of it or shied away from anger, either my own or other people's. Because I think that intuitively, I've always understood that anger is, underneath all anger, is pain. That usually people, at least in my experience, a lot of people that are angry usually have, have some right to be, you know? They're usually angry because, uh, you know, they've been hurt, they've been betrayed, or they've been denied some kind of basic human need, you know, like love or affection or compassion. And because they've been denied these things, they don't know how to give them back to other people, you know? Um, and I know some people, for some people, you know, anger is the same thing as violence. And it's true, you know, sometimes anger can lead us to act in violent ways, but anger in and of itself is not violence. I think anger in and of itself is a valid emotion. It is a manifestation of pain. Um... And what really got me thinking about it was moving to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm a Latina from LA, you know, I'm very saucy, I'm very spicy. Like, you know, all my friends were very blunt, you know, like, you know, we're very straightforward with each other. But that is not how things are in the Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah, here in the PNW, the, uh, that was definitely a big culture shock for me, you know. Um, on one hand, the first thing I noticed when I moved here was how it was really refreshing, you know, how like kind and patient and really present people were with you, you know, like even as a new person in town, um, people were, were kind and warm and welcoming and, you know, willing to offer me a hand whenever I needed anything, you know, I was like, wow, it's really cool, you know, like, um, but on the other hand, the thing that really bothered me is that, you know, this need to be like kind and nice and polite all the time. Um, the downside of that was that it often resulted in a lot of like passive aggressive behavior. Um, people couldn't, people weren't straightforward, you know? Um, and that, that really bugged me. You know, that, that definitely irritated me. It took me a long time to figure out, you know, how to read between the lines and what people were saying, you know? Uh, and so I remember when I first moved here, um, I first moved here about two years ago, I worked on a farm. And so, um, and so the, the whole straight answer thing really bugged me because when I'm in a new workplace, I ask a lot of questions. How do we do this? What's the procedure for this? You know, like, and I just couldn't get straight answers from people. Like, and I remember even when people were like fucking up and not doing what they were supposed to do, like nobody would like say something. Nobody would confront them or, or you know, sit them down and be like, look, this is what needs to get done. And it drove me up the wall. Um, and so the farm I worked on, I worked in the tasting room. It was a farm that like made hard cider. And so I remember being at one of the farm meetings and I finally just went off, right? And I was like, look, I work in the tasting room. My job is to talk about the wonderful ciders that we have on tap, but I can't do that if I don't have tasting sheets, right? Like, you know, I was like, I'm tired of customers coming in and being like, what's on tap? And then I have to look and be like, oh, you know what? I got no fucking idea because our cider master didn't write down a tasting sheet. He didn't write down what he did or what he put in the keg. So you know what? Your guess is as good as mine. 
I was like, dude, that's fucking not appropriate. Like, I feel like a fucking idiot when people come in the tasting room and I ain't got shit to say. You know, like that makes me look bad. That makes the farm look bad. Like, that's not fucking cool. I was like, you know, I was like, I get that our cider master is really good at what he does, you know, like I get that he's a busy person, but you know what? If he ain't doing his job, then I can't fucking do mine. <laughs> and uh, everybody was like stunned. Like everybody went silent. Like apparently nobody had ever spoken to our cider master like that before. Uh, <laughs> And he looked a little stunned too, but you know, he, he like, he paused a moment, he blinked and he was just, you know, uh, he thanked me, you know, he was like, he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, you're right. You know, it's definitely something I need to work on and you're right. You know, I'll definitely, I'll work on that and I'll make sure that you guys have tasting sheets in the tasting room, you know? And he was cool about it. I was like, thank you. I thanked him. I was like, thank you very much. I appreciate that, you know? And then the meeting went on, right? Um, and I didn't think much of it, but apparently I'd, uh, I'd bristled a few feathers there at that meeting. And so um, my housemate, my friend that I lived with at the time, he worked in production. So I worked in the tasting room. He worked in production where they made the cider. And so apparently um, he later told me at home that some, some crew members felt that I overstepped my bounds. Uh, and, you know, uh, and now I didn't really give a fuck because I worked in the tasting room. I got a job to do. I don't really give a shit. Like I said what needed to be said, you know, like it didn't bother me. So from my perspective, it's like if you don't want to get called out, do your motherfucking job. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm not one to mince words, you know, I say what I mean and I do what I say. Um, and so dealing with flaky people who are like incapable of being honest with themselves or other people, it just drives me nuts. It irritates me to no fucking end. And to me, you know, beating around the bush or being vague, you know, that's not being kind, that's being dishonest. Like, I would rather somebody tell me to fuck off to my face than be nice to me to my face and then turn around and like talk shit about me behind my back, you know? Like, to me, that, that, uh, that erodes trust. You know, it makes me feel like I can't trust people because I can't trust people to tell me what, I don't know what's real and what's not, right? I don't know people being fake and when they're not. Um, and, you know, and that's funny because then, you know, of course, you know, I get people to be like, you're so, you know, you're so angry. You know, you don't have to be so angry all the time. <laughs> like, bitch the fuck out of my face with that hippy dippy pollyanna kumbaya hand holding all lives matter colorblind bullshit okay like you know i would think like motherfucker you've been living in this farm town where the biggest community problem is antibacterial hand soap in the fucking bathroom like seriously you know it's easy for for some people to avoid talking about uncomfortable things like like politics and and so forth because if you're so far removed from the world that shit don't affect you anyway right? Like, it's easy to claim to have strong values if they've never been tested before. You know, I used to joke, you know, working on the farm, that uh, I used to joke that in the whole town, there was one brown person and one gay person, and we lived together. <laughs> and I, you know, and I think too, like, besides, what the fuck do you know about being angry? Like, pfft, like, if you think I'm angry, then you ain't never seen anger before. So, with that, you know, people quickly learned to leave me alone. <laughs> and I was grateful for it. Um, and, you know, while I can be a very passionate person, you know, I'd be very out there in people's faces, right? Um, I'm also very introspective. 
And so being in this little sleepy farm town, you know, um, gave me a lot of time to do so, to really reflect on myself and, you know, who I was and what I was bringing to the table, you know. And, you know, at the end of the day, when we all went home, who was it that was still angry? Who was it that was still bothered? Not the cider master, not the crew, me. I was. I was the one that really suffered the effects of my anger. And, you know, as difficult as it was, on some level, I had to acknowledge that, you know, nobody forced me to come here. Nobody forced me to move to this little tiny town and, you know, work on a farm and all that. Like, I put myself here. I chose to be here. I chose to, to make the decision to come and live somewhere else and be part of a different community. And, you know, it wasn't up to the community to change for me. Oh, oh, Vera's in town, you know? Like, no, nah, it don't work like that, you know? It, it was up to me to find my place within this community. And, you know, and I had to think about, well, what are my intentions? Why did I move here, you know? Um, you know, I didn't move away from the city. I didn't move to the country so that I could bring the frustrations of the city with me. I moved to get away from that, to experience something different, good and bad. And, you know, and so I, I had to, I had to humble myself, you know, I had to remind myself like, you know, this community, like more or less welcomed me in as a stranger, you know, gave me a good job and wanted me to be part of their team. And I may not have agreed with how the team operated, but I couldn't deny that, you know, being welcomed into a community and being part of a community is a gift. And, you know, having people welcome me into their homes, having one of the best jobs in the area, really, and being around kind and supportive people, that's a gift. That's a gift that a lot of people don't have. And for that, you know, I owed a debt of gratitude and respect. And so I, I learned to start humbling myself. You know, I think for the first time, I, I got a taste of what that feels like, you know, and what the benefits of that are. And, you know, and, you know, I've been here all the time, you know, people can wax and wane about, you should be grateful, be, you know, gratitude and appreciation for your life every day, all day long, 24-7, you know, but really that you can't force somebody to have those things. You can't tell somebody to have those things. You know, those things have to come from within. Like, we have to find that for ourselves. Every person has to find that for themselves. You know, you gotta want it. And I think anger functions very similarly. You know, you can't just tell someone to stop being angry. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like, it don't work like that. Um, people have to also make that decision for themselves, right? They have to want to let go of that anger. They have to want to, you know, drop that weapon or let go of that fucking hot coal, you know? And so being on the farm, I definitely learned a lot about being present. Um, and slowly but surely, I allowed myself to start becoming a, a slower, kinder, softer, gentler version of myself, you know? And still, though, I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't forget where I came from 
or who I was or what brought me here, you know? Um, and that just because I was in a good place didn't mean that my friends, my family, and the community that I left behind didn't mean that their situation had changed, you know? And so I invited my friends back from L.A. to come visit me on the farm. Be, and I told them, you know what, if you can get the time off work and you can get a plane ticket to get here, I'll take care of the rest. You know, I'll take care of you. And, uh, and I did. You know, and that felt really good. Um, a lot of my friends came to visit me that year. We went hiking. You know, I took them walking through the little downtown area with all the little old historic buildings. We went on tours of the orchard, of the farm. I gave them private cider tastings, fed them with food that literally we fucking dug up from the dirt in our garden in the front yard. Like, I mean, abundance that I'd never experienced before. And I never, I never experienced that kind of abundance before. Abundance of fresh, healthy food, you know, organic veggies and all those, you know, awesome things. And for me, the only way that I could fully appreciate it was by sharing it with other people, you know, sharing it with the people that I loved. You know, that was what really, that was what really brought it home for me. Um, and so eventually, you know, eventually uh, me and my housemate, we decided to move. Um, you know, he wanted to go back to school and, you know, I was tired of paying $200 a month for satellite internet. <laughs> um, there was a lot of, you know, living in the country was wonderful, but I definitely missed having regular trash service, you know, little luxuries like that, right? <laughs> um, and we both needed the change. So, um, but thanks to working on the farm, you know, that year I really learned a lot about gratitude and humility and these words became a part of, a part of my regular lexicon. And I'd made a lot of personal progress and growth, and my outlook definitely changed, you know, that year on the farm. Um, and while I had changed, I also knew there was a lot of things that hadn't changed. Um, you know, like, like the friends and family I left behind in California. Uh, when I finally went back to go visit them, everywhere I went, I was still welcome with open arms. You know, people didn't forget about me. People didn't stop caring for me. They didn't stop thinking about me or loving me, you know, and it was really cool to go back to California for a week and, you know, see my friends, my family, you know, familiar faces, you know, and even some new ones, you know, and all of them just really happy to see me and hug me and hear about my experiences, you know, so that was really cool. And, um, and so when I went back to California, I was there for like, uh, like a week and a half. And uh, the majority of my trip was really awesome. You know, I did some great photo shoots, did some great work with people, um, all, the, all the wonderful things that you'd expect when going back and visiting home. Um, and everything was great except like uh, the last two days. Um, so a few days before I left, uh, I met up with my dad and my best friend Christoph for brunch. And so my dad starts telling me about uh, my friend Katie. You know, she's been a real close family friend of mine. We grew up together, lived down the street from each other. Um, and he was telling me that she wasn't doing so well. Um, so we'd grown up together. We'd always kind of been there for each other. And even though we were really close and we grew up close, um, our upbringings were just very different, you know. Um, we had very different experiences. And... And even though she was really smart and capable, like a lot of times circumstances were just like never in her favor, you know, like anytime she would start to get a little bit ahead, it was like one step forward and two steps back, you know, her position with her company got, she had a great job and then her position with her company got eliminated. Uh, she got another really great job and then she had a really bad injury at work and she couldn't work. 
um, just all of these things that just happened and set her back, like emotionally, physically, financially. Uh, and then I remember, uh, I remember right before I left, she told me that she found out that she was pregnant. Um, not just like kind of pregnant, like what are you going to do? Like third trimester pregnant, the baby's about to fall out pregnant. <sighs> Ugh. And, and, um, the baby daddy was not exactly, she was not exactly enthusiastic to have this man in her life either. <laughs> and he was not exactly enthusiastic to hear that he was going to be a father. So it was, uh, yeah, it was rough. And, uh, and it only got worse. Like, I guess uh, he made a lot more money than her. But even though he made more money than her, he took her to court. He got custody of the kid. And he wanted her to pay him child support. Dang. <laughs> like, uh, it's just everything you could imagine was just, it was just one bad thing after another. It was rough, you know? Um, and right before I came down to visit, then she finds out she's pregnant again. Just, uh, you know? And so, you know, my dad would, would bring it up and, you know, and, and anytime my dad would bring her up, I would get super defensive, you know? I'd be like, look, you don't understand. She's been through a lot. You know, she doesn't have the same, you know, family parental support that I have, you know? Like, uh, she, you know, she's doing the best she can. Like, she didn't plan on having a kid with this guy. You know, that wasn't her fault. Like, why does it have to be so hard on her, you know? Um, and I thought I was doing the right thing by defending my friend. Um, but my best friend, Kristoff, uh, he did not think so. He definitely thought otherwise, and he was gonna tell me. <laughs> and he finally, he looks at me, he's like, dude. He's like, the fuck? He's like, we haven't even eaten yet, and you're already yelling at your dad. He's like, every time your dad takes us out to eat, and he even mentions Katie, you end up yelling at him. Like, what the fuck is your problem? He's like, I'm sick of you always like yelling at your dad when he's just trying to tell you how he's feeling. So the upside of having your ex-boyfriend as your best friend is that they know everything about you. The downside of having your ex-boyfriend as your best friend is they know everything about you. <laughs> and almost immediately, I looked at Kristoff and we got into a fucking huge argument. I'm like, what the fuck, Kristoff? You know I've been working on my shit. Why are you trying to call me out for? Like, you know I've been trying. You know I've been making a lot of progress on my anger. You know I'm fucking working on that. Like, I'm here for only, I'm here for like, you know, only a couple more days. Like, why are you gonna be a fucking asshole to me for? Like, what the fuck? And he snaps back with, you know, well, look, I don't give a fuck how much you've been trying. He's like, I'm sick of your anger. I dealt with it for the six years when we were in a relationship and I'm not putting up with it anymore. Now that we're friends, I don't want your anger. I don't want to deal with none of it. I don't want to see you giving it to other people. I don't want to see you being angry with your dad. I don't want you being angry with me. Zero. I don't care if you've been working on it. I want none. It needs to be none. It needs to be zero. And I kind of sat there and I just kind of mumbled. I was like, man, fuck you. You know, you want to fucking talk about anger. Like, I'm the one, you know, just barely back home here. And all you want to do is fucking pick at me? Like, the fuck? You're the one to talk about fucking anger. And we both just sat there fuming. Me and my best friend just sat, you know, next to each other table, just fucking irritated, fuming, you know, not looking at each other. I'm fucking on the verge of tears. You know, I'm all fucking upset. Kristoff is just looking at his plate, you know, he's like destroying a piece of cake, you know, like smushing a piece of cake on his plate, you know. Uh, it's all awkward and shit. And, uh, you know, my dad's just like sitting there like, you know, he didn't say anything. Like, 
Uh, and so after a couple minutes, you know, my dad kind of like clears his throat and he's like, you know, he's got his food and he's just like, well, he's like, hey, he's like, you know, he's like both of you. He's like, he's like, I want both of you to know that, that I love you. He's like, I love you both. He says, you know, he goes, I just want you to know that I'm happy just to be here spending time with you. And I want you both to know that this doesn't change my salad at all. This is a great salad. You know the seaweed salad? You know your papa, he loves this salad. It's so good. It's so good. This doesn't change my salad at all. <laughs> and that's my dad, you know. Uh, I definitely didn't get my temper from my dad. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, so we kind of... Everything kind of kind of passed, and you know, we we got through we got through brunch or whatever. And then after brunch, you know, I went I walked my dad to his car and I apologized to him. You know, I said, you know, I you know I apologized to him. Said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for always snapping at you and stuff. And before I even finished, he just he stops me. He's like, you know, he's like, don't even worry about it. He's like, it's not necessary. You know, he's like, I, I know that you've been working. I know you've been working on stuff. I see the work that you're doing. And you know what? Don't even worry about it. I love you regardless. I love you for who you are, you know? And that's okay. And you're okay just the way you are. And, you know, he's like, I just, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm always going to love you. And I just want you to be happy, you know? <laughs> and I don't know how my dad does it, you know? I don't know how he, how he raised me and managed to stay such a good-tempered, good-humored person, you know? Um, he's always had an almost seemingly endless amount of patience for me, you know, and I just, I can't put into words how thankful I am for my dad, you know. He's really set a good example for me. Uh, so, uh, so Christoph and I, we, t we took a little, you know, we talked after brunch and, you know, we took a little break, we took a little breather and we decided that we'd, you know, we'd take the rest of the day off and we'd go hiking the next day. And so, uh, so the next day, you know, I go, I meet him and, you know, we're driving out to the hiking spot and he got into an even bigger argument. Like I, we started fighting in the car. We were fighting so bad. We had to pull off the freeway, pull over at a target just so that we could fucking finish yelling at each other. And then we both got out of the car and just walked in different directions. Right. Like it was bad. So, uh, <laughs> so we, you know, we, we both, you know, we walked it off. We walked in little circles. I got a cup of coffee. He walked around the block or whatever, you know. And then we got back to the car after we blew off some steam, you know, we, we talked it out, we came back around and, um, you know, we acknowledged that whether we meant to or not, you know, you know, cause of our history, we both play a role in instigating each other, you know, and ignoring the other person's feelings, you know? So, you know, the downside of your ex, having your ex as your best friend is that every fight just comes with so much history right? There's always just so much unresolved stuff that's there. Um, but the positive side about having your ex as your best friend is that every argument is a chance to repair the past, you know, to make up for those things and to kind of right those wrongs. So it's a lot of work, but it's, it's definitely worth it, you know, and it makes our relationship that much more solid, you know, so... Um, and so we got over it. We did our hiking. Everything was good. Everything was fine. Um, and, you know, it, and I knew it hadn't quite sunk in, but this was the first time where, I think this was, this was the first time where it really started to sink into me, like, just how much my anger affected 
you know, my relationships with people, how much it affected people around me, especially the people closest to me, you know, especially the people I cared for, you know. Um, and so I, you know, so this was on the forefront of my brain, you know, so I really kind of started thinking about this, you know, and trying to slow my roll. And, um, and so the last night of my trip, you know, like around 10 p.m. ish, um, um, I was driving to see Katie because she was kind of busy and that was the only day and time that she was available to see me. Um, and, um, and so I was thinking about that, you know, and so, um, on my way over, you know, she's texting me, she's kind of giving me a hard time, you know, like, what the fuck, like, where you at, you know, like, shouldn't take you this long to get here, you know, giving me a hard time for running late. Um, and I didn't say anything, but I was late because I pulled over to try to find a place to buy her a nice bouquet of flowers, you know, I thought, oh, she's, you know, she's pregnant, she's having another kid, you know, I'll get her some flowers, you know, she's gonna be another, she's gonna be mom again, you know, um, and, you know, and it's funny, you know, growing up, like, me and her were both very much like little curmudgeons, you know, like, even from a young age, you know, like, very, very skeptical, you know, we always hassled and teased each other, you know, the way, you know, the way, like, you know, close friends and family does, you know, um, but it's always from a place of love, you know, like, we never meant to, like, tear each other down or, like, hurt each other, but just, like, hey, what the fuck you doing, you know, like, always poking at each other, you know, um, you know, but... But as people do, you know, somewhere along the line, like, that changed, you know? We both changed, you know? We both changed. Um, we've always been very different people, but I think especially as time goes on, those differences just became wider, you know? And so I, sh um, so I, so I showed up to her place, and I kind of just, I don't know, I just kind of had a bad feeling just looking at the place, like, oh, you know? Um, and so... So I showed up and I go inside and she's there with uh, her new boyfriend, her boyfriend's kid, and another friend of hers that I didn't really know. And so I was kind of like, oh, you know, that's weird. Like all these people are here, whatever, you know, like, you know, I'm here to see, I'm here to see my friend. Um, and, but I was a little bit like taken aback by the way the, you know, place was set up. And the first thing I noticed was um, her boyfriend's kid was in a crib that was sitting like behind the couch. And so we're all in the living room, and so his crib's in the living room, and the lights are on. We're there talking, you know. Um, and, you know, and the kid's sitting in the crib, and it was, like, real empty. There's just, like, a blanket, a pillow, and, you know, this, like, crying child. You know, it's like, oh. Um, and so he's, like, whimpering, and he's crying, and we're talking. And every time he would start, like, crying, she would just look at him, and she would just yell, like, go to bed, go to sleep, quit crying. I'm going to take your blanket away if you don't quit crying. You don't quit crying, quit it like just real, you know, like aggressive, you know, and this kid's like, I don't know, like, I mean, I'm not good with kids, I don't know, maybe he's like six or something, I mean, he's little, you know, he's not, he's a kid, you know, and I was just like, kind of taken aback, you know, like, you know, this kid's crying, like, why are you yelling at him, you know, like, and, and no, I don't, I don't have any kids, I don't even like kids, like, I, I grew up an only child, didn't really grow up around other kids, so I don't really, like, know how to interact with kids, but, you know, I know how to not hurt them, right? And so I was kind of shocked. And so I'm, like, looking at her, you know, like, while she's yelling at the kid, and she just, like, looks back at me, like, almost daring me to say something to her. Like, what? And so I did. I was like, I was like, hey, you know, come on, Katie. Like, he's just a kid, you know? Like, I was like, I mean, we are kind of, like, you know, talking in his room with the lights on, you know, like, I know if people were talking in my room with the lights on, like, I wouldn't really be able to sleep, you know, 
uh, like, I have trouble getting to bed. And immediately she just like rolls her eyes and she's like, no, no, no. She's like, you don't understand. He's always like this. Like he's always crying and whining for attention day and night, you know? He always acts like this, like regardless. And the first thing that came to my mind um, was an interview that I had just done with a really good friend of mine, um, Dr. Ryan Witherspoon. And uh, one of the things I remember him mentioning is, so he, you know, he spent eight years in grad school. He was doing research. He worked with clients. And he finally just got his PhD this year in psychology. Um, and one of the things I remember him mentioning was his experience in uh, family therapy. And he said, oftentimes, you know, families will come into therapy saying, you know, fix this child, right? This child is the problem. When in reality, the child is merely acting out because they're being used as a scapegoat by the rest of their family. The child themselves isn't actually the problem, but they're responding to the way that they're being treated, right? And so the problem isn't the child, the problem is the way the child's being treated. They're just reacting to that treatment. And, you know, I don't know shit about kids, I don't know shit about her situation or what was going on there, but just looking at this, I just, I knew, I, I was like, this is not right. Like, I just felt, I was like, this is not right. And, you know, her boyfriend was super silent. He was super, like, you know, quiet, passive. He didn't say nothing, but her friend was not. And so as soon as, like, uh, and as soon as her friend opened his mouth, I could just tell he was like an instigator, you know? Like, just the real intentionally, like, disagreeable type, you know? I call these kinds of people, like, deconstructionists. Like, his goal wasn't really to build any meaningful conversation. He just wanted to deconstruct whatever the person was saying. Like, mm, are you sure about that? I don't know. Personally, I think, and it would be something totally irrelevant, you know, trying to like change the subject. And so anytime I would say something to Katie, before she would even respond, her friend would just like pop off, you know, would just jump in to kind of like, you know, contradict what I was saying or try to like derail the conversation and lead it back to that, you know, that he was more familiar with. And finally, you know, I looked at him, I was like... <laughs> Excuse me, but I don't really give a fuck what you think. I don't know you, and your opinion is irrelevant to me. I didn't drive a thousand miles to come listen to some fool that I don't know fucking talk. I came here to be with my friend, my family, Katie. Like, I didn't come here to talk to you. And I was surprised. All of a sudden, Katie snaps back. She's like, excuse me. She's like, hey. She's like, I know that we're family. She's like, but you can't just come in here all brimstone and fire like that, disrespecting my friends. That's not cool. She's like, what are you doing? And everyone turned to look at me. And her words stopped me dead in my tracks. I, I had to pause, I had to think. What was I doing? What was my purpose? You know, I mean, I know that I, I, I wanted to spend time with my friend, but, you know, not like this, you know? And so I just, uh, I closed my eyes, you know, I took a deep breath, and I said, you know what? You're right. You're right. I was out of line. And I looked at her friend, and I said, you know what? I'm sorry that I disrespected you like that. I said, I don't know you, and I'm sure you're a wonderful person. But today, I am not here to talk to you. I did not come here to talk to you. 
Then I turned to Katie and I said, look, I'm here to talk to you, Katie. Just you. You know, maybe we can go somewhere to talk. You know, maybe just the two of us. You know, maybe we can go to like Denny's or, or Norm's or something. You know, we can go hang out and have a conversation, just us two, you know. Um, also, because the conversation that I want to have, I just, I can't. You know, I looked at the kids still crying in the crib. I was just like, I, I, I can't. I can't have that conversation here, you know, I can't, I can't have that conversation here, not in front of this person and not in front of, you know, that crying kid over there, you know, like, I want to talk to you. And at that point, she really squared up to me and she was like, well, and you know, and exactly what conversation is it that you want to have, though? She's like, you know, Vera, she's like, we've always been very different people. And, you know, she's like, even when we were younger, we've been very different, you know, and she's like, and you've been gone a long time. And, you know, those differences between us have only grown wider. And she's like, you know, I put up with a lot of things that you say and do, you know, that I don't really agree with, you know, things that you say on social media. And, you know, she's like, and, and while I do see your point on some things, there's a lot of things that I see my friends point on too, you know? And she's like, so tell me exactly what conversation is it that you want to have that we can't have here? And I had to think about that. And I said, well, well, you're right. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, we, we have always been very different people. And over the years, we have grown apart, for sure, you know. And you're right. Those things have gotten deeper, especially since I haven't been around. Um, and I think that's the conversation I want to have. You know, how did, how did we get to this point? You know, how did those gaps become so large? You know, where are the places, what are the things that we never really quite saw eye to eye on and never talked about? And where are the places that we still do see eye to eye? Where are the places that we still are common ground and that we still connect on? You know, I go, I think, I think that's the conversation I want to have. I want to talk about us. I want to talk about our history. But... Again, that's a conversation that I can't do with these other people here. That's a conversation that me and you have to have. And she kind of brushed me off again. She goes, well, she's like, you know what? I'm here with my boyfriend and my friends. She's like, and I want everybody to be able to hang out together. Like, I don't want to feel like I have to shut off one person to hang out with another person. And she's like, so maybe right now is not the right time for that conversation. You know, and I looked over at the, the kids still crying in the crib, and and I just, you know, I looked down at the cup of tea I was holding that I hadn't even touched, you know, um, and I, I just, I knew there was nothing I could do. You know, there's nothing I could do in this situation. This wasn't my home, and and just big fat tears just started to well up in my eyes and just fucking fell down my face, dripped in my tea. And I just said, you know what, you're right. This isn't the right time for this conversation. Um, you know, maybe next time I come visit, we'll, we'll, we'll plan ahead and we'll make some time to talk, just the two of us, okay? Next time we'll, we'll plan this a little bit better. And I just was like, you know, like in my eyes, I was like, you know, I'm sorry for bothering you. I'm sorry to bother your friends. I, I need to go, I need to go. And I just stood up, tears streaming down my face, and I rushed over to her, and I just gave her this big old hug, you know, like, and she's not the hugging type, but I just fucking squeezed the shit out of her, you know, I'm fucking crying in her hair, and I just, you know, I just whispered in her ear, and I was just repeating, like, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you so much, you so much, 
and I'll see you next time, okay? I'll I'll see you next time. And just, you know, like and she just looked she looked she looked genuinely confused. Like she didn't understand, like, what the fuck? Okay. Like, oh she's getting all emotional, you know? Like, uh and I was just like like she didn't she didn't understand there was anything wrong, you know? And she was just like, Yeah, okay, I'll see you next time, you know, no worries, you know? And I told her boyfriend, you know, it's nice to meet you. I didn't say shit to her little friend and I just ran down the stairs as fast as I could and ran to my fucking car. And dude, I wasn't there for more than like 15 minutes. Like this whole situation happened in less than 15 minutes. Like my tea was still hot. I left that shit on the counter, didn't even drink it. And uh, immediately after, immediately I just, I was driving and I was like crying and I just pulled over into the nearest parking lot and I just like, and I had to call my dad and I just was sobbing and I called my dad and I called my best friend and I told them both, I says, you know what? You were right. You were right. I was like, everything you were saying, you were right. Everything you were trying to tell me, you were right. And I am so sorry that I didn't listen to you. I'm so sorry that I didn't believe you, that I got angry at you. I am so, so sorry that I didn't listen to what you were saying, you know? Um, you know, I'd always stood up for Katie, you know? I'd always defended her, you know? And I did, you know? Like, but I mean, you know, after seeing her with that kid, you know, in that apartment, I just, I just could more. I just couldn't excuse her behavior anymore. I just, I had no, I, I could not rationalize that, you know, yelling at a crying kid. I just couldn't. Like, you know, her anger, her frustration, it made her emotionally abusive. She was denying care to people who were suffering, you know, to children that were suffering. That's, that's a form of emotional abuse to do that to people, to treat people like that, you know? Denying to children love, care, compassion, patience, understanding. You know, that's, that's not how I was raised. Like that's, that to me is, it's abusive. It's emotional abuse, you know? And that kid wasn't even hers. That was her boyfriend's kid. That wasn't even her kid. Like, you know, and, and I thought about, you know, and I thought about while I was driving home, you know, I thought about when we were growing up, you know, and, uh, you know, and she always liked the real grumpy Disney characters, you know, like she loved Ursula and the evil witches and the evil stepmoms, you know, and of course I love a good villain too, you know, like we would always root for the villains, you know, like we were little curmudgeons, little badasses like that, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, but I always thought on some level like we were kidding, you know, I always thought it was a joke, like we're joking, like, you know, I mean, I never actually wanted to be a villain, uh, you know, I don't, I never actually wanted to become one, you know, and, you know, maybe she didn't either, maybe she didn't intend for it to happen, but it did. You know, she let her angerness and her bitterness get the best of her. I saw it, and she became one. She was literally an evil stepmom. Like, I just, you know, I I couldn't look at, at this situation the same anymore, you know? And, and this story's not about Katie, you know? It's not about Katie. I love Katie. Katie's still my friend. She's still my family, you know? Like, I... She always will be, you know, I love her. I'm always gonna be there for her, you know? The story's not about her. The story's about me.
because when I saw her and how she was behaving, what I saw were the worst parts of myself. I saw what happens when defensiveness and ego and self-righteousness becomes so loud that it drowns out all reason and all possibility for change. I saw the results of what happens when we have long-term pain that goes unrecognized and unresolved. I saw what happens when we fail to have compassion for ourselves. Because when we, when we can't have compassion for ourselves, we are incapable of having it for other people. Because all we can give is what we have. And, you know, she's, she's been through a lot. You know, she has every right to be angry and to do as she pleases in her own home. You know, like, you know, she has every right to do that. But, but holding on to anger and resentment, that comes at a cost. We pay to hold on to that. And even though it hurts other people, it hurts us the most. I saw how these things, consciously or not consciously, anger shapes our character. Resentment, holding on to those things, shapes our character. It shapes our decision-making, what we think is appropriate and not appropriate. Um, it shapes our interactions with other people. And, you know, seeing Katie, that was the moment that I decided that I just didn't want to be angry anymore. Because I knew that whether I acknowledged it or not, if I continued to hold on to that kind of anger, that that's the person that I would become. I would become the villain. And I just, I didn't want to be that person. You know, I, I didn't want that to be my story. And, you know, like I said, Katie's still my family, you know, she's always going to be my family, you know, I'm always going to love her and be there for her, you know, but I just, I can't defend her actions anymore. And, and big one, I can't argue with her either. Because her life isn't my decision to make. Those are not my decisions to make, you know. What I can do, though, all I can do is listen. Just listen, be there for her. Offer her encouragement and support, you know, encourage her in, you know, in what I consider to be a positive, healthy direction, positive and good things. Because, you know, for all the negative stuff that I talked about, you know, she really does love her son. You know, she's, you know, constantly making the effort to, to be there, be at doctor's appointments, be at every visitation, you know, like, you know, so I know that she's not, you know, she's not a terrible person. She's not a terrible mom. You know, what I saw was one small snapshot, you know, um, I know that that's not all that she is you know, and so I can encourage her in all of the good and positive and wonderful things that she does, you know, but when she chooses to go in a different direction or make different decisions, then I just have to let her be, you know, and, and let her be who she's going to be, you know, because at the end of the day, I can't change her, you know, and I can't do anything for that, for that child, you know, that's out of my control. But what is in my control is the ability to change myself. I respond to situations. 
And, you know, this kind of change, it's not going to happen overnight, you know. I've definitely got a lot of my own resentments and frustrations that I cling on to, you know, a lot of unhealthy behavior patterns, you know, just fucking setting up the equipment for this podcast. Fucking, my cat was, like, terrified, like, running the other side of the room, you know. What the fuck? Just trying to get the fucking software and all shit to work. So, trust, trust, like... I got my own shit that I need to work on. I am plenty busy cleaning up what's on my side of the street, you know? Um, and I recognize that, you know what, the more I, I work on this and the more I think about it, you know, like, I'm sure there's a hell of a lot of people that I owe a fucking apology to as well, you know? I know I definitely owe a lot of people an apology for my anger and my behavior. But, you know, and acknowledging and acknowledging that you know, acknowledging those problems, that's the first step toward change. It's acknowledging that we have things that need to be changed. And, you know, for me personally, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of being angry, dude. It's exhausting. I'm tired of holding on to old resentments and old shit, you know? Like, I'm tired of fighting myself, fighting my friends, fighting my family, fighting the world. I just, I don't want to do that anymore, dude. I don't want to live like that no more. I don't want it. And, you know, it's so funny, you know, I just think, you know, it's so funny. Like, I never really thought I'd say this, especially, as, you know, I don't know, but, uh, you know, when I think about these things, it's like, I want to be more like my dad. <laughs> Isn't that a funny thing to say? I do. Maybe not in every aspect. You know, me and my dad are also clearly very different people, you know, but I do. I want to be a more kind and patient and loving person do even when other people are not even when other people aren't behaving that way I still want to be able to hold my space and be like that you know I want to be able to live with more integrity and more emotional stability even if other people are not and you know and I think also to to remember too that you know I can be a caring and passionate person you always be a passionate person you know but I can be caring and passionate without being judgmental and self-righteous. I can still work toward change and improve the world around me without being a fucking asshole about it, you know? <laughs> and, you know, loosening that white-knuckle grip on anger and resentment is hard. But living with it is even harder. And no one can, you know make us or force us to let go of those things. It's up to us to make that decision, to make the effort, to put in the work, not to loosen our grip, but to just reach out for something different. Well, that's all I got for you today. Again, my name is Vera Payam. You are listening to The Vera Payam Show. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting this podcast. And I hope somebody has told you today, but if they haven't, allow me to be the first. I don't know you, but I love you.